Julie at Dogcast Radio. If you like dogs, wherever you are in the world, we're the show for you. Hello, Happy New Year and welcome to episode 191 of Dogcast Radio. In this episode, we'll be talking to Joe Middleton about dog first aid. We have had many dogs saved as a result of people that have attended our courses. Oh, yes, yes. For example, Lancelot, a lurcher, he severed three main veins and an artery and some broken glass. Yeah. He lost 28% of his body's blood, nearly a third of his body's blood. Yeah. Luckily, his owner had been on the course. This episode, along with all our other shows, is available from our website, www.dogcastradio.com where you can also find our blog, photos, articles and other resources. Our first interview of 2018 is with Andrew Fixell, who was moved to make a documentary which focuses on three homeless people and their dogs. The dogs in question are pit bulls, which it seems are a type of dog that many of those who find themselves without homes are drawn to. First, I asked Andrew to tell me about his own background with dogs. Basically, you know, I grew up with from the time that I was six, I guess, um, with a dog, 13, almost 14 years of a miniature schnauzer. And then now a couple of years, just kind of mourning. <laughs> and then, uh, and then almost now 10 years with a, with a, a real mutt. So, you know, he's much bigger also, and he's, he's a great dog. So I, I just always grew up around, surrounded by dogs. I was never, scared i i the the first dogs that i ever came across were giant poodles so you know they were bigger than me and yes if if you kind of you kind of grow up with that or 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 that's your first introduction to a dog where you know they're easily three times your weight you're not going to develop any type of (laughs) fears whatsoever so um yeah okay so tell so tell me how did you get into the filmmaking Pretty much right out of college, I started producing for A&E television networks. Um, I did promo commercials between 10 and 15 second ads. And I kind of got the feel for what it's like to put something together. And the turnaround time for commercials is far less than than a documentary. But um, that kind of gave me an idea as to how to be creative in a short period of time. And I, you know, I work behind the scenes in, in mostly reality TV for, uh, up until I was probably around 26. Then I had kind of just an epiphany that I needed to get out because reality TV can be very pigeonholing. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you, once you're, once you're there, you're kind of stuck. And I, I wanted to do something a little bit more with substance. So I taught for three years, mm-hmm. four years. And then during my last year of teaching, I said, you know what? I, I knew that I was going out. I just, I was tired of it. I wanted to make a documentary. So during my last year, the the summer before I started my last year, I shot the film. And then um, for the next 18 months, you know, in, over the time that I was my last year of teaching. And then after leaving, I was editing and doing coloring for all of that and getting licensing. And uh, it was really about an 18 month from the moment that I shot the film to the moment that I was sending it into my first festival, um, it took about 18 months. And, um, you know, that's kind of how I got to be where, where I am with, um, with, with just, you know, before anyone actually got to actually see the film. Yeah. Yeah. It's often is a long, long process, isn't it? From inspiration to 
hey, here you go, you can listen to it, you can watch it. You know, it, it is a long process, but it's it's you know it's worth doing. Yeah, I mean, like you know, a, a, a six six hours of footage turning that into twenty minutes, it sounds so much more simple than it is. <laughs> yes. Um, you know, you know. Also, when you're the only person, you, it's pretty much a one man crew. Aside from a, aside from a, a cinematographer, the day of the shoot, and also a sound person, um, I hired a colorist right. You know, about a week before, or not a week before, about a month before I sent into festivals. Everything else was up to me. Mm-hmm. You know, got the contracts with with um, music licensing with a, a, rec, a record company that I'm, I, I adore and. Um, yeah, aside from that, you know, it was all all me. So I, nobody knew about the film. I, if if you know, God forbid, something happened to me, no one would ever know uh-huh. because I just wanted I wanted this to be for me. And then about two months before I, I started putting it into festivals, it I, I told my parents just so you know, you know, I I, I need to take out an additional twenty five hundred dollars from my account. I want you to know why I'm doing it. Because my dad is my financial advisor, so he would definitely know that I uh, I was taking some money out. And they were like, "Okay, wow, uh, nobody." I, I didn't tell my parents. I didn't tell my brother. It was it was really just me. And I wanted to make this kind of like a learning experience. I learned how to how to edit doing it, and um, more than anything, I wanted to to create something that hopefully would would push for social change. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, we're talking about today, The Firmest Friend. That's the film, isn't it? And so, uh, so uh, tell me a little bit about the, the subject of The Firmest Friend. Okay. Well, I mean, I, I know it doesn't matter where you go across the country. Um, you'll find, you know, backpackers, kids who, you know, are, are essentially homeless, um, mm. traveling with animal companions. Most often they tend to be either mutts or, or pit bulls in general. And, um, you know, even when I was in Portland, I saw this in Seattle and in New York, it's just kind of like a part of the scene, you know, homelessness in New York city is, is a, it's a major feature of this city, an unfortunate feature, Mm. but we also have a lot of people who are transient And they don't necessarily view themselves as your typical, you know, homeless person. They see themselves as a temporary resident who just so happens to be living not in a home. And I I became fascinated with it because, you know, anywhere you go in New York City, you tend to find that. And and you, you have to ask yourself, first of all, why are these kids traveling, you know, across the country with these dogs? And and second, why why is it always this type of dog? Mm. And part of part of me thought, you know, maybe this is a ruse. Maybe this is a way for them to make some extra money. But in knowing the like in 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 my observations, I grew up in and around New York City my entire life. You're not going to make that much more money by having a dog with you. And if anything, the expense that the dog costs, you know, with feeding and and getting leashes and all that stuff, you know, it's it the the cost that the the profit that you can make if you're trying to somehow use that dog as a ruse is not significant enough to actually go forward when you're dealing with you know your own addictions having to pay for 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 drugs or alcohol and also take care of an animal a lot of these people i i i discovered were doing it in part because a they didn't have anybody and b 
a lot of them were, were it was kind of a way for them to get back into a normal life. A mm-hmm. lot of them were using were were taking on this responsibility of a dog so that they no longer would have enough money to pay for heroin. And I know that's like, you know, it's kind of jarring at first, but it's you know, it's a real thing. And we, we often have assumptions. We walk past people all the time. I do it, mm-hmm. uh, even though I have sympathy for them. And we don't really know the story behind it until you actually ask and figure out why people are doing what they're doing. Then you, you can't really pass full judgment. Yeah. Yeah. I, I know what you, you mean, because um, we were, it happened to be in Edinburgh in Scotland. Yes. And we were actually sitting in a, in a, in a cafe and there was a guy outside who was obviously homeless, had all his stuff with him and had a dog with him. And the dog made me sort of feel more sorry for him. And I gave out and went out and gave him some money. And it is that kind of connection. Sometimes homeless people can look unapproachable or for whatever reason, but somehow Absolutely. if they have a dog with them, you kind of go, we have something in common and that, that resonates with you. And you kind of think, yeah, I, I know what, I know a little bit about this person. This person doesn't frighten me anymore. Right. Absolutely. I mean, you can't live this life of, you know, uh, you can't come across as a very fearful person if you're walking around with, you know, with, um, a dog that's, you know, maybe 40 pounds or whatever. Yes. And, and it's not really, um, it's not really something that, um, it definitely is something that connects people. Um, and I think, you know, more than anything, if you learn what they're all about and what these, these dogs are all about, you'll get a better understanding as to why they're doing what they're doing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, we, we spoke to Julie Austin of the, the, she runs a doggy food bank. It's in LA, which my geography is not good. And my American geography is even worse than my general geography, but she's well, quite, quite a way. Your geography of America is better than a lot of Americans. <laughs> America, <so. laughs> but uh, I know she's, she's quite a way away from you, but you know, she, she got chatting to a homeless person who had a dog on her street and the person happened to mention that they couldn't feed their dog. And she went off and got some dog food of her own and from neighbors and from there she blossomed into sort of running a doggy food bank for the homeless you know to, to be able to feed their dogs and then as you say to have leashes and collars and and you know the, the kind of things that you need when you have a dog and I think that's it, it's beautiful because you know we're all people we're all in this together whether we have a home or not that's a tiny difference really between us so but again, it, it's quite a frightening thing to, to walk up to someone who doesn't have a home because it is, in some ways, it is a big difference. It's a different lifestyle. So tell me, what, what did you find out from talking to, to people who were homeless and, and had a dog with them? I think, you know, what I did tend to find is that all these people, what they shared in common was that they could no longer rely on anyone that and that they didn't have um the typical responsibilities of other people. They had their own vices and demons. Mm-hmm. Um, but in part, you know, what they also shared was a genuine desire to be loved and and to also provide love. And I, I think that's, you know, our natural relationship with dogs is, is it goes back thousands of years mm-hmm. and it really perfectly makes sense. Um, it's, 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 you know, with the dog, they, it's un unadulterated. There's, there's nothing, you know, complicated about it. It doesn't matter what you look like. It doesn't matter your background. 
they'll give you exactly what you give them uh, yeah. in return, if not more so. Oh, yeah. So yeah. I think I think just in general, what these people shared was the desire to the desire to be loved. And, and I think I, I think it really is as simple as that. Mm-hmm. And it's like you say, there's there's nothing like having a dog at your side because they're there for you. I mean, d- don't get me wrong. I have family. I have friends. I absolutely love them. You know, I'm, I'm, I, I know that my human people sort of have a, a huge place in my heart as well. But nobody is there for you 24-7 if you want them to be and just ready to do what you want to do all the time like your dog is. And I mean, if you are alone... For example, you know, a practical um, benefit of having a dog with you, I would be terrified to go to sleep if I was out on the street and I couldn't lock the door and know I was kind of protected in some way to some extent. But by, by having a dog with you, you have at least a little bit of warning, maybe, if somebody's coming near you. It's a quite a precarious existence, isn't it? And I can just see that there's a lot of benefit to having a dog with you. Absolutely. I mean, it's not just a matter of like that, you know, uh, you know, they have something to love. It is is a certain lifestyle. We all have dogs for a reason. Yes. It's to fulfill some sort of void that might be missing. It's possibly a form of protection. It's, you know, we and it's just like with people also we engage with people because we need something from them and they engage with you because they need something from you um and i don't want to make it seem like it's a using type thing but you know the the trade off for you know what 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 these people have to give in return for that you know type of uh, protection is so much greater than than just you know any typical cost Mm. as you know as it is there's a a lot of these people who have dogs who are living on the street i I can say with you know from personal experience they they have addictions Uh, the majority the people in this film all do have serious heroin addictions Mm. but based upon their explanations to me and based upon what they've told me is that you know they they had to decrease the amount that they're taking because they have something to look care, look after. They mm-hmm. have something to care for, um, and they have something that needs them to survive to, in order to live. If they if they if they die of an overdose, that dog has nothing. Yeah. It's going to go back where where it was, or it's going to go somewhere worse. So you know, for people to kind of look at these people as um, as kind of users. And, uh, it, 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 it bothers me and it offends me because they don't know the true story behind it. And nobody has to have a dog, mm. but you know, it, it definitely makes life more worth living. And for a lot of these people, they don't have much to w- live for. Mm. So to not be selfish and take money and only use it for yourself to, to feed an addiction and instead bring something into your life that you have to love and you have to care for. Uh, I think that's something that's, that's kind of honorable mm-hmm. and, and I'm not saying it should be praised with, you know, parades, but at least it should be, we shouldn't be looking down at someone simply because, you know, they're, they're living on the street with this, with this animal. I, I know that, that people see that and, you know, get upset. 
a lot of the the I, I feel like there hasn't been a tremendous amount of pushback, but one of the things about the film that has kind of given people um, a reason to 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 question, you know, the motives of these people is they're like these dogs are living on the street with these people. They're living the same type of lifestyle, which is not healthy. For the most part, it's not like they're eating, you know, filet mignon every night and going to sleep in a king size bed. Mm. But I know there are tons of people who own dogs out there. And especially you can tell, you know, with what's going on with, you know, when, when the weather is incredibly cold, you know, these dogs live outside. And just because they own them and they're at a house doesn't mean that they're actually being in any way taken care of properly. And also, you know, people say that. You know they're they're being you know forced to live on on the on the streets. Well, the alternative is a you know a, a, a six by six cage that eventually will result in in almost guaranteed euthanasia. And then the other um, thing is that you know people say, well, they're living on the street. They're they're you know they're forced. Most people who have dogs can't be around their dogs for more than, you know, maybe eight to 10 hours a day because they have to work. Mm -hmm. And, you know, they, if anything, these dogs are being showered with attention more than any other dog that you can come across. So there are trade offs that are, you, we have to take, you know, recognition for. And, and I can't, I can't stress enough that, you know, the initial assumption is, is reasonable. But I think often it, it, it isn't entirely right. And um, that's, that's what I hope people see with the film. Yeah, yeah. Do you think as well that, you know, in some way, homeless people or you know, some homeless people feel a kinship and particularly with, with pit bulls because, you know, pit bulls get an awful press. They, they in, you know, in some way they've been rejected by some areas of society. You know, they, they are... They they have a, an undeserved and an awful reputation. And do you think, in some way, homeless people find a ki or feel a kinship with them because they feel that rejection as well? Absolutely, I think that's that's one hundred percent of the reason why you see so often pit bulls. Why why the dogs that are with these homeless people are, are always a breed of you know whether it be American Staffordshire or some sort of the the breed quote and quote of Pitbull. And I think it is because when you're marginalized, you feel like you can only connect with another outsider. That's why, mm -hmm. you know, that's why we attract to certain people because we can relate to them. That's why you're friends with somebody who also likes dogs because you can relate to them because they have the same passion as you. And I feel like if you almost take like a Mad Libs and you put in all the same words, you know, for someone who is homeless or has an addiction and some and, and a pit bull, it's pretty much the same way to describe, you know, misunderstood, uh, reviled, viewed as dangerous, not trustworthy, you know, all these things that are just kind of misnomers. And, mm -hmm. and that's that's what stereotypes do. You know, there's truth in, in every single stereotype, but sometimes it's just it's you know, on steroids and it's completely blown out of proportion. And I think because, you know, it's like, it's like with, with, with sharks, you know, people are so terrified of sharks. And when we hear about these, these shark attacks, the reason why, you know, we hear about them is because they're so rare. 
Mm. That's that. So, so this unfair assumption that sharks are completely, you know, uh, dangerous. Uh, they're they're curious animals. So when you hear about it, it it's it's because it it very rarely happens. And I think the same goes for pit bulls. You know, you often hear about these mauling stories, and those stories happen few and far between. But what we fail to recognize is that, you know, in in at least in the United States, the breed that has the most um, instances of dog bites are actually golden retrievers. So, you know, it, it's, it's just this, I think it's really, I think the media and just people in general, we have a really good way of kind of stigmatizing and scapegoating, um, whether it be people or animals. And, you know, I think it's just kind of pitbulls, unfortunately, are the flavor of the month. Mm. It used to be German Shepherds, then it was Doberman Pinschers, mm. then it was Rottweilers. And the and this and the, the terrible thing about with pitbulls is that that encompasses a lot of different types of dogs. So, you know, it's not just one particular breed. So all the dogs who kind of touch within the pitbull grouping then end up getting associated with that term. And, um, you know, it certainly, it certainly hasn't helped. Yeah. Yeah. No, it, it is sad because, it, you know, so the vast majority of them are just gorgeous dogs and we just pigeonholed them and said, right, yeah, as you say, we're going to, we're going to concentrate on that tiny, tiny, um, you know, as you say, any, any breed has, can have problems, but we're going to concentrate right. on that and, and sort of ha- damn them all, you know. For, yeah. For, yeah. But, um, Absolutely. Yeah. And, and, and creating, you know, this story um, almost so that we can kind of keep this, this myth going. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I don't want people to be under the assumption that I think all pit bulls are, are, are great dogs and, and should be trusted. And, you know, it's just like with any, any type of person, it's how they're treated. And if it comes down to, you know, it doesn't matter what type of breed they are. If they're put into stressful situations where, <clears throat> They're not being properly taken care of or they're being abused. It doesn't matter what kind of breed it is. It's the circumstance. It's just – it's the same with people. It's nature versus nurture and and I don't think that there's anything – you know, a, a definitive like bad, bad dog. You know, it's mm. not like – that. It, there's a reason that happens and uh, I, I hope people can recognize that with this film. Yeah. Yeah, it's um, it's it's a lovely project, and it's you know, I I can appreciate this has come from, this is very personal for you, and you you want this to make a difference, and it's and it is it's a beautiful labor of love. Where can people find out more about it online? You can simply go to thefirmestfriendfilm.com. Um, I've made it available for free on on the my the film's website, and when you get there, it's a um, it's the Vimeo streaming um, version of the film, and that will just you know you can either go to Vimeo for it or you can just go to the the film's page. You'll get the same uh, the same footage in the same film, and uh, yeah, I mean you know. Look around Facebook. I know a lot of pit bull advocacy groups, a lot of animal rights groups have shared it on their Facebook pages. But probably the easiest way is just simply to go to thefirmestrenfilm.com. Excellent. That's, that's brilliant. Is there anything that we haven't covered already that you, you know, sort of desperately wanted to say? I think I, I, the only thing I really want to say is this film was made out of, you know, a labor of love, not just for my love of 
of pit bulls and um, dogs in general, but also my love of, of documentaries and the power of documentaries. This is not something that I ever intended on, you know, making any type of money for any type of profit. This is just something that I have a passion about and I want the story to be told. And I think that's what documentaries can do. It's the most unadulterated version of telling a story uh, possible. And I, I just hope that people share the film. That's, that's really all I care about. I care about people seeing this film as many as possible because as wonderful it is for people who, who love pit bulls or love dogs see this, I, I really also want people to see this film who don't have any type of relationship to dogs so that hopefully it'll change their tune and maybe when they consider actually adopting a dog or, or getting a dog in general, they won't consider buying but instead uh, adopting specifically, hopefully, um, pit bulls and, and marginalized dogs that really don't ever get a chance uh, except for the people who already know about the breed. I do think it's great when people act on the instincts they have and try to make the world a better, friendlier place for dogs and people. We have the link to The Firmest Friend on the Dogcast Radio website along with some photos of the gorgeous pit bulls and their people featured in the film. You're listening to Dogcast Radio on www.dogcastradio.com. Do you ever read a book and think, no, it shouldn't happen like that? Well, check out the latest innovation in romantic fiction, Macy's Choice, which puts you in charge of the plot as you make life-changing decisions on the main character's behalf. At the end of each chapter in Macy's Choice, there are always two options, and you choose what happens next. With over a million and a half words, that's over 5,000 pages, 256 chapters, and 128 different endings, Macy's Choice is an e-book you can reread again and again, making new choices each time to vary your experience to find love with each of the three heroes. To find out more, visit macyschoice.com. That's M-A-C-I-E-S-C-H-O-I-C-E dot com or search for Macy's Choice on Amazon. Did you know you can train your dog to toilet on command? It's a command well worth teaching as it can be very useful. Now it's time for the Dogcast Radio News, and this is the first news of 2018, so Happy New Year! And if you've made a resolution to get fitter this year, your dog could be your biggest help. Dog walking is a great way to start building up your fitness for both you and your dog. According to research, people who include their dogs in their exercise regime are more likely to stick with it, and the really good news is that your dog will benefit too. Obesity is a major issue for humans and canines, but increasing your activity helps the physical and mental well-being of both species. Did you know that dogs who aren't walked enough are more likely to have behavioural issues? And don't let the cold weather put you off, because it's easier and safer for dogs to get a good workout in cooler weather. So all in all, it's a great time to get out and about and active with your dog? Yes, let's get out on a dog walk right now. But maybe we should finish reading the news first? OK. While the winter might be a good time to get out and walk our dogs, but the dark nights mean it's safest to walk where there is effective street lighting. In Worcestershire in the UK, there is now a street lamp which is powered, wait for this, by dog poo. 
The lamp in question has a device which resembles a small washing machine attached to it, and every ten bags deposited into it power the light for an hour. The waste produce is heated and stirred, which causes it to release biomethane. This is stored in a container until, at sunset, the methane is released into the lamp where it powers the bulb. So all the dog walkers have to do is scoop the poop, pop it in the receptacle, turn a handle, and hey presto, environmentally friendly lighting. And environmentally friendly, dog poo free paths. Absolutely, it's a brilliant idea, isn't it? Poo power may well be the future. But one poor dog in New Jersey, USA, nearly didn't make it into 2018 when she fell into a frozen lake. The poor dog, a Sharpe called Lily, had got lost, and locals spotted her running on the ice. Horrifyingly, the ice gave way, and Lily fell through into the freezing cold water. The fire brigade were called, and in the short time it took them to arrive, Lily had weakened, and although she was still treading water, she was in serious danger of drowning. The brave firefighters put on ice rescue suits and ventured out 150 feet over the ice to pull the dog from her predicament. Luckily, Lily was none the worse for her misadventure and was soon reunited with her owner and won't be going near any frozen lakes again. Thank goodness they got her out. Yes, and it must have been very scary going out on the lake for the firefighters. It must. And now onto something else that can be pretty scary travelling alone. But one clever hotel in San Francisco, USA, has come up with a way to alleviate loneliness for its guests. The Nico Hotel not only welcomes visiting dogs, it has a resident dog, Buster. Guests can request the pleasure of his company during their stay. You can see photos of Buster's adventures on his Instagram feed, to which we have a link on the Dogcast Radio site. And we'd love to know what you think. Is Buster having a great time meeting and having fun with lots of new friends, or is it an exploitative gimmick? It'll be interesting to see opinions on that one. But one thing we all agree is that fireworks and dogs don't mix. Some dogs are incredibly stressed out by fireworks, aren't they? It's horrible. In Brazil, one dog nearly had an awful accident all down to fireworks. Lassa Apso, Tina, was home alone while her owner popped out. All was well until the noise of fireworks disturbed the little dog, who was apparently driven to distraction by fireworks. Scared, Tina ran out onto the balcony in search of safety. The large patio doors were slightly ajar, and having squeezed through the gap, once on the balcony, Tina panicked, coming to rest, hanging off the edge of the balcony, three floors high. Neighbours heard the terrified dog's barks, and with admirable speed of thought, grabbed a sheet, which they held like a safety net below the dog. When poor Tina did fall, thankfully she was caught, safe but very frightened. Let's hope that silent fireworks, which are available, catch on. That would avoid a lot of suffering, wouldn't it? I think it's what dogs would ask us to do. Well, they might be able to ask for themselves relatively soon, because apparently a dog translator could be available within a decade. Scientists are using recent developments in artificial intelligence to begin to decode animal vocalizations and facial expressions. Currently, AI systems are listening to the calls of marmoset monkeys to analyze them, and also examining sheep's faces to determine whether the animal is in pain. Dr. Khan Slobachikov. A biology professor at Northern Arizona University, USA, is convinced that animal vocalizations amount to language, and has developed an algorithm that translates them into English. The professor's plan now is to feed videos of dogs' barks and body language into an AI system, and have it use its algorithm to work out what dogs are communicating. Wow, that would have huge implications for behaviorists, trainers, and of course, owners. It would, but for now you don't need an algorithm or artificial intelligence to understand that we're saying it's the end of this episode of the Dogcast Radio News. 
See you next time. The acid in dog urine can corrode metal, and its nitrogen content can kill grass. So be careful where you let your dog pee. We all love to go off exploring with our dog, but if you were in the middle of nowhere and your dog injured himself, would you know what to do? Joe Middleton is a dog first aid expert, and here she shares some practical, effective advice. I've got seven top tips for you to help keep you and your dog safe.、Okay. Um, the the top seven things that we need to to look at. You must always have a charged mobile on you, and try to walk your dog where there's a signal.、Um, we all love going out and spending time with our dogs one on one out in the middle of the countryside where there's no one else about. But if there is an emergency situation. And you haven't got a signal, or you're in that scenario where you haven't got a charged mobile with you, you're not able to ring the vets for scenario-specific advice about what you're facing,、mm-hmm. or ring for help so someone can come and find you. Yeah, yeah, great point. And also, I guess have your vet's number programmed in. Absolutely, not just your vets, but all local vets.、Um, So, for example, if a dog's bitten by an adder, you'll usually hear a yelp—not always, but usually—and an area of your dog's body will become swollen very quickly, usually a muzzle or a limb.、Mm. You need to get your dog off down to the vets as quickly as possible for a shot of anti-venom. Mm. Ideally, you would carry your dog to the vehicle to stop the. Venom going round the bloodstream as much as if it was walking. That said, I've got a 50 kilo Rottweiler, so carrying my dog to the vehicle may be a, a challenge. Just、um, a little, have, <laughs> yeah, just a little. But sometimes in those scenarios, you get super strength, yes, don't you?、Yeah. Adrenaline sees you through.、Mm. Um, however, not all vets hold anti-venom, and it's obviously time critical. So it's no good rushing your dog off down to the vets, the nearest vets to you, and getting there and finding that they haven't got any anti-venom. You need to go half an hour in the opposite direction.、Mm-hmm. So, making sure you've got all local vets' numbers in your phone,、uh, ready for you to ring, and make sure that there's a vet there. Make sure that the vet is able to prepare for the emergency that you're bringing in, and make sure they've got the equipment needed to deal with that emergency. So, top tip number one: make sure your mobile is charged at all times. Top tip number two: save the phone numbers for all local vets. Um, in your mobile, and have a paper copy of those numbers in your dog first aid kit as well. Yeah, yes, because of course, if something comes to you as well, say you and the dog fall down, you know,、um, somebody else might need that that paper copy as well. Might, might. Absolutely, absolutely, and things happen to mobile phones. I don't know、yes. about. You. Yeah, but I've dropped mine in the strangest of places, <laughs>、uh, down the toilet. Also, yeah, yeah. <laughs> not just me then. No, no. <laughs> and then you have to fish、so、it out, and <laughs> wrap it in、yeah. a dog bag till you can. <laughs> yes, I know. Apparently, a tub of rice is the way forward for、ah, that. Right, <laughs> a tub、okay. of rice in the air and covered, but. <laughs> Um, so, top tip number three is to to have a pen and paper handy to note down any key details of an emergency, including any witness details, and also the dog's vital signs. So it's 
pulse rate and its breath per minute rate as well. Um, if you suspect heat stroke or shock, um, the dog's temperature too. Um, putting your safety and the safety of other humans above the safety of the dog is top tip number four. Really, really tricky, mm. especially as an animal lover. If there's an animal in pain, having to take that minute just to take a few deep breaths and think about your safety and the safety of other humans can be really, really hard to do because we want to rush in and, and help the dog. But it's really important that you give the area a thorough visual risk assessment, checking for any hazards that could be of danger to humans, including you on the scene. Um, you must make sure you do your visual risk assessment, call for help, and then when you get to the dogs, secure the dog as soon as possible so that it can't take the flight option and run away from whatever it perceives to have, have caused it pain. Yeah, yeah. Does that make sense? Yes, it does, because you know yourself, don't you, when your dog's in pain, they're incredibly restless. You know, when, when Buddy's come home from a, an operation, he's moving around and he wants to go to this person, that person, go over there, go, and he's trying to get away from the pain. Obviously, they presumably perceive it as a sort of some kind of attack from outside, and they want to get away from it, don't they? And the more acute that is, the more acutely they want to move. So if, if a dog gets hit by a vehicle, for example, um, and you rush over hands-on and start doing a full-body examination to see where the, where the dog's hurt and how you can help it, if you then touch something that hurts the dog, they'll perceive that you have caused that pain. Yeah. And, and you have. You've touched something that's hurt it, so you've hurt the dog. But they'll perceive that you've caused that pain, and dogs have got the, the flight-freeze bite reactions. And for them, it makes perfect sense to get distance between them and whatever they perceive to have caused the pain. Yeah. Yeah. So if you haven't secured the lead before you start examining them to see where they're hurt, hurt um, you risk losing the dog or it causing another accident mm, mm. so top tip number five is to always have a full dog first aid kit in your vehicle mm -hmm. and also a smaller kit on you it's no good just having the full kit in your vehicle and being two or three miles away from your car on yeah. a walk and not having something there and then. So we actually stock uh, an emergency pouch, which has got everything you need for pressure bandages and eye wounds, um, and, and obviously your gloves to keep yourself safe as well. Yeah. So it's really important to make sure you've got those bits and bobs there to help the dog, but also if you feel at risk of getting bitten, you can pop a bandage muzzle on to make sure that you can then help the dog without risking your safety as yeah, well. Yeah, yeah. The, the the bandages can be so very very versatile actually. Because I was talking to somebody else who was saying if you if you encounter a completely you know a lost dog that doesn't have a, a colour or, or um, lead, mm. you, then you can fashion something, you know, a harness or whatever. Absolutely. So they are, but you have to replace it. <laughs> yes, yes, absolutely. And you have to bear in mind that because there are sterile, sterile products in your dog first aid kit, you need to keep an eye on the use-by dates. Yes. They are usually really long, the ones that we're stocking at the moment are 2021. Um, but you just need to have in the back of your head if you use something you replace it and you must check the sterile dates on there yeah yeah 
So top tip number six, um, prepare as much as you can in advance. So you, you want to prevent something from happening where you can, but you also want to be prepared because accidents do happen. So, for example, carry a spare lead in your vehicles, carry a doggy towel or blanket. You could use the, the towel or the blanket as a hammock, like a stretcher almost, yeah. to, to carry your dog, or with a dog my dog size he's larger than a Shetland pony you could wiggle it underneath and just gradually move him along until you can get him to safety if you can't physically pick him up you need to get your dogs used to being examined all over never force a dog to have an examination unless it is an emergency situation lay the groundwork now and start gradually getting them used to having all areas of their bodies examined think about what motivates your dog as an individual whether it's um, a food treat whether it's a toy if so what sort of food what sort of toy motivates your dog and is of high value to it and use that to reward the dog when it has an area examined. Um, Our franchise partners have recently had some training with one of the Victoria Stillwell um, Positively Dog Academy mentors in the UK on the different stress signs that dogs display. So when you're examining a dog you need to be looking out for different stress signs because they will do subtle things sometimes it won't be as obvious as a growl or removing themselves it might just be something like a an increase in blinking rate or an increase in breath rate for example or a lip lick and and those little subtle ones are hard to spot so really important that when you're looking over your dog you're making sure that you're aware of everything that your dog is doing with its body so you can pick up on those subtle little signs Um, might be that that's an area that it's uncomfortable having touched which may mean that that is where the problem is Mm -hmm. dogs can't say it's my tummy that hurts so get as prepared as possible now know your dog's normal vital signs and yeah. start laying that ground yeah. those those stress signs are so useful for all dog owners to know because Absolutely. how often do you hear oh and the bite came out of the blue and you think i'm uh, sure it didn't it didn't because your dog was trying to tell you they didn't want to bite you so they tried desperately to tell you i'm not happy with this situation and if you you know the, the videos online with a lot, a, lot, a lot of them with children that some people are going oh that's cute and you think oh my goodness this dog is not happy you know so a classic that we see is when the dog's body stiffens when someone goes to look in the mouth so the dog will tolerate them looking in the mouth at their teeth and their gum line and making sure there's nothing decaying and the dog will tolerate it Mm. but the body stiffens into almost a freeze Um, so what we'd say is don't look in your dog's mouth unless it's an emergency just gradually start building up with touches around around the muzzle area and rewarding them with is that motivates them and work up to lifting a lip and just take it at the dog's pace do it gradually yeah excellent advice because as you say you've got to have a situation where you you know you might be able to have to look in the dog's tooth uh, Mm. look in the dog's mouth or they might have teeth problems or whatever but you don't start with right i'm going to wrench your jaws open and look in this mouth go at the dog's speed Mm. absolutely yeah, and I think for, from our point of view, it's um, if, if you imagine a dog 
that that car hitting the dog and it's in pain, it's confused, it's disorientated, and you come along and you start going over its body in a way that you've never touched the dog before. Mm. We've all got parts of our bodies that we don't like being touched. I mean, if you touch my feet, I'll probably hit the ceiling. <laughs> um, and, and the dogs are no different. They're all individuals. Yeah. They're all free-thinking beings. So from our point of view, if you can get the dog used to having that full-body examination done now and get the groundwork done, then when that situation comes that you have to actually administer first aid, you're able to then do something the dog is used to having done and, uh, and it sort of doesn't have a snowball effect. Yeah, yeah, and I mean also because you, you, some people might think, but I touch my dog all the time. I stroke him and I fuss him. But f- I know from I know from my dog who, who's a very very laid back Labrador, and I can be like sitting there fussing him, and then I suddenly think, oh, what's that in your coat? And the minute it goes from we're just having a fuss to I am I am you know I have a purpose here. I'm looking for something in your fur. He's like a little bit get off you know what are you doing and he knows the difference straight away so it is that's a really good tip to to get your dog used to that sort of looking with a purpose and going over them with a purpose which is it is different from just the fuss you give them every day isn't it and just things like going in between their their toes and looking for ticks and yeah, yeah. Uh, ticks and um sorry foreign bodies like grass seeds mm. Um, it, it just they're, they're little things that worm their way in and grass seeds for example can track in your dog's body so there was a, a collie that when it had a grass seed going at the paw and it came out at the the shoulder it went all the way up the dog's leg so really important that when you're getting them back from walks you're checking them all over and just building up to things gradually using those motivators Um, top tip number seven last but not least Mm -hmm. um, is to to carry some bits and bobs with you as well as your dog first aid kit so wire cutters um, a torch some tweezers and a tick remover as well as your water bowl as well yeah Um, all those little extra bits you can just have in one bag in your vehicle um, and you've got everything you need there not just to help you to act but to also to help you um, to to feel calmer in an emergency situation which will therefore mean that you can have that calm level head which enables you to step forward and use the equipment that you've got and help the dog yeah yeah it's it's funny because as you said about being staying calm um i think maybe you know if you if you think ahead if you think ahead it might help you stay calm but we encountered a situation when we had our border collie he rushed off the path and it was a lovely woody woodland walk just you know five minutes from our house and he rushed off the path to, to follow the ball and just got completely stuck. Oh, and he, it, yeah, it was his tail that was stuck on brambles. And I was going, oh my goodness, oh, so, you know, he's absolutely stuck here. I can't shift him. So my husband, who, who has been a scout uh, years ago, and he got a. a, a <laughs> <laughs> I know. He, it's all right. Many years ago. He's the same age as me, don't worry. <laughs> and, uh, he, <laughs> so he got his pen knife out, and I went, don't Brilliant. cut his tail off. <laughs> and he went, he looked at me and went, I'm going to cut the bramble. And I was like, oh, okay. Okay, fine. So I, I do panic. I'm like, oh no, what do we do? What do we do? Uh, but it's a shock. Oh yes. And yeah. When you go out to walk your dogs, although we enjoy walking 
our dogs it's something on the to-do list sort of take the bins out walk the dogs mm. and you don't expect to have an emergency situation with what is essentially one of your family members um, when you're when you're going about your day-to-day life so with that shock actually having the confidence to step up to the plate and to help that dog especially if there's an awful lot of blood or the dog has lost control of its bodily functions and there's feces or vomit everywhere it can be a, a real shock to the system and to know that you are prepared and you've got these sort of seven top tips in place it really does help to help the dog ultimately which is the the bottom line yeah definitely definitely and i guess we could make tip number eight go and get some first aid training couldn't we joe oh we could do that (laughs) i think that would definitely be beneficial but in all seriousness Mm. um we have had many dogs saved as a result of people that have attended our courses yes yes um we, we've had, for example, Lancelot, a lurcher. He severed three main veins and an artery on some broken glass. Yeah. He lost 28% of his body's blood, nearly a third of his body's blood. Yeah. Um, luckily, his owner had been on the course and she administered first aid on the spot, remembered what she'd learned. Hats off to her because that amount of blood loss is horrific to deal yeah. with. Yeah. But she did. He has got long-term damage. He has lost the feeling in one term. Mm. which I don't think is a bad result given the amount of blood loss there but the vet said that if she hadn't acted there would be no no way he'd still be with us we we work we sort of aim our course at dog professionals because they've got a duty of care to their clients dogs Um, if you work with children you'd have to do your paediatric first aid and we see no difference if you work with other people's dogs but we do have an awful lot of wonderful dog owners who also attend our courses um, we, we work with um, dog wardens so Janessa Springhall who's the dog warden in East Cambridge um, attended one of our courses and it was actually her own dog that choked on a bone that he found out on a walk after she attended the course and um, she, she went through the three key steps for choking that we teach and although it didn't remove the bone it dislodged it enough so that he was able to breathe for himself mm-hmm. so it brought her that time to get him off safely down to the vets and they couldn't get it out either they did have to knock him out and operate but but archer is now happily back out and walks again and, and back to full health oh, so nice. it's just a couple of case studies but if uh, if people go on our facebook page um it's just facebook.com forward slash dog first aid you'll see see loads on there that people have posted on yeah, yeah. So, so tell me a little bit more about dog first aid, um, because as, as well as sort of as, as if training people in first aid wasn't good enough, you do a lot more good for for the dog world, don't you? Yeah, yeah. It's um, it's really cool because ultimately we look to work with people who are in line with our values and our core beliefs. So, as an organisation, we're very clear on uh, on the sort of mission that that we've got and what we want to do and we we do everything because we are complete dog nuts really we've got a wonderful team of veterinary professionals we work with some brilliant vet nurses and um, we've got wonderful vets on board as well um we donate a percentage of all our franchise partner fees to 
non-profit making organisations um, that either are rescue, non-profit rescues or non-profit organisations that uh, where dogs help people, so canine partners, dogs helping kids, etc. We um, have got um, fundraising in place for Smoky Paws. Um, we've got the collection pots at all of our courses. Smoky Paws is a wonderful um, charity that raises funds to provide the UK fire service with, um, with, with oxygen masks for pets. Mm-hmm. So the fire service almost have a 50-50 chance. I think it's 46% of all UK households have got pets. So when they go out on calls, um, they've almost got 50-50 chance of coming across an animal that needs first aid as well. So Smoky Paws provide the oxygen mask to enable them to help those animals. Yeah, that's fantastic. Yeah, you, you don't think of it like that, do you? That, yes, when you go, when they turn up at a house that's on fire, <clears throat> there may well be animals in there needing first aid as well, or needing help in, in, in some way. Wow. And they do say it's the, the smoke that kills, and, um, and obviously the animals are at, at big risk of smoke, um, smoke damage and uh, and human safety always has to come first but then once those humans are out the dogs are, are next um the other thing that we also do is um go to people's venues and, and they host our courses mm. so we go out on site and provide courses for them and a lot of people will use that as a fundraising opportunity themselves mm. So they'll host one of our courses and sell places on the course um, and then the profit they make after our trainer fees are covered all goes to a non-profit as well. So it's ended up as a wonderful opportunity not just for um, promoting dog first aid but also fundraising for various organisations as well yeah yeah wow it, it, it sounds really great and, and it's a, a lovely job to do in that you know you're making a difference in dogs lives and people's lives but you're making a difference in a, a lot of lives aren't you i'll be completely honest with you it's um the first time that you get a message back saying that a dog has been saved because of something you taught someone you're on a mission then to yeah. <laughs> Yeah. It's like a drug. You can't stop. <laughs> um, but the, the demand was so great that we actually franchised the business um, the end of last year. Our first franchise partner came on board. So we now offer the opportunity to others to run their own dog first aid business using our branding, our business model, our support. Um, and the, not only can you help people to help dogs, but you can also run your own business, choose your own working hours, um, and, and make a huge difference to dogs' lives. So yeah. it's a, a wonderful opportunity to be able to to offer to other dog lovers. Yeah, yeah, excellent. We'll, we'll give people the um, how, the the way to get in touch with you and how to find you online at the end of the uh, interview. But um, is there anything? That you, I mean, obviously, first aid is a vast subject, and, and there's a lot that we <laughs> we haven't had, you know, a three day course here. But um, is there anything that you'd like to say today that we haven't said already? 
I think the main thing is to make sure that you're as prepared as possible. Like we said, get those seven seven points in place. Make sure that you have got your dogs as used to possible to having their examinations. Know their vital signs. Carry that spare lead. Carry your dog first aid kits. Get those vet numbers in your phones and uh, and prepare, prepare, prepare. Yeah. Brilliant. Thanks ever so much, Joe. Where can people find out more about you online? Well, there is our Facebook page, which is jam-packed full of free top tips um, along the lines of the ones we've talked about this morning, plus many, many more specific ones about CPR, choking, bleeding, shock, etc. Mm. Um, the Facebook link is facebook.com forward slash dog first aid. So in your, your www.facebook.com forward slash dog first aid. Mm-hmm. If people are interested in joining us and helping us to um, spread spread the word and um, take part as a business franchise partner and buy their own dog first aid business the link is www.dog-first-aid.com forward slash franchise um, we're always looking for ambitious dog lovers um, who would like to to come on board and help to get this life-saving information out to more dog lovers but also transform their own lives and and run their own businesses too Um, taking part in our exclusive training program which also includes training with registered members of the Royal College of Veterinary Surgeons as well. Mm Yeah. Excellent. Well, listen, we, we thank you ever so much for talking to us. We won't take you away from, you know, the business of saving dogs any longer than we have to. <laughs> <laughs> thank you very, very much for having me. Great advice. We have the links Joe mentioned on the Dogcast Radio site, along with a photo of Joe and her lovely dog. It must be wonderful for her to know she's helping owners keep their dogs safe and in some cases alive. If you've had to put your dog first aid knowledge to use, I'd love to hear from you. While adult humans have 206 bones, adult dogs have between 319 and 321. Some of you may know that Buddy, our black Labrador, has arthritis and a degenerative spine condition, and he turned 15 in December. The bad news is that he had a couple of weeks over Christmas and the New Year when he had huge problems walking and seemed to be in pain too. The good news is that extra painkiller and other medication has helped and Buddy is once more walking unaided and enjoying pottering around the house and garden. Having Jenny's puppy, Mischief, around provides him with some welcome and unwelcome distraction and for now his tail is wagging. I hope you're all facing 2018 happy and healthy. Who knows what this year will bring? But until next time, look after yourselves and your dogs. Thanks for listening to Dogcast Radio, available from www.dogcastradio.com. That's D-O-G-C-A-S-T radio.com. If you'd like to get in touch with us, and wherever you are in the world, we'd love to hear from you. You can do so in a variety of ways. You can contact us on Skype with the ident dogcastradio. That's all one word, dogcastradio. By email, you can contact me on julie at dogcastradio.com. 
When contacting us by email, if you have the facilities, please record your questions or comments and send them to us as an audio file. That way we can include them directly in our programme. We can accept most formats, for example, WAV, MP3. All these methods of contacting us can be found on our website, which is www.dogcastradio.com. And as ever, the final word goes to Jenny. What are doggy builders best at? Roofing.